Amen. That was great. Uh, we're going to look in Second Chronicles chapter 6 as we continue our study uh, going through Solomon's prayer. And uh, we want to read verses 22 through uh, 39 tonight so we can look at them and see what the Lord will have for us. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 22. <clears throat> if a man sin against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou from heaven and do and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked by recompensing his way upon his own head and by justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. And if thy people Israel be put uh, to the worst before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall return and confess thy name and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear thou from the heavens and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest to them and to their fathers. When the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray towards this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou from heaven and forgive the sin of their, thy servants and of thy people Israel when thou hast taught them the good way wherein they should walk and send rain upon the, thy land which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance. If there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be uh, blasting or mildew, locust or uh, carpenter, uh, uh, caterpillars, uh, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore or whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man or of all thy people Israel, when every one shall know his own sore and his own grief and shall spread forth his hands in this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according unto his own ways, whose heart uh, thou knowest. For thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they, they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but has come from a far country, for thy great namesake, and thy mighty hand, and thy, and thy, thy stretched out arm, if, that, if they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calls to thee for, for that all people of the earth may know thy name, and fear thee, as doth the people of Israel. And may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. If thy people go out to make, I'm sorry, go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them, and they pray unto thee towards this city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their calls. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them out before their enemies, 
And they uh, carry them away captives into a land far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive, and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done amiss, and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whither they have carried themselves, I'm sorry, carried them captives, and pray towards their, their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, and towards the city which thou hast chosen, and towards the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Petitioning the pardon of God. It's amazing how many times in this passage, verse 22 through 39, how many times Solomon mentions here in reference to God hearing their prayers and hearing their supplications that they would offer up to him because of the chastening hand of God or because of the oppression of the wicked. And so Solomon, in this portion of his prayer, is petitioning the pardon of God. And praise God, we can be pardoned by the Lord. Amen. We can have all of our sins cleansed, all of our sins removed from us, and we can be forgiven of all of our sins because God is a God who pardons us based on the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at this prayer, and we looked at the praise. He started out praising the person of God. And he was willing to identify who God was, and he was rejoicing and worshiping in the person of his God. Then he pondered the provision of God in his life, and what a great thing it is to be able to know and, re and, and just think about the provision that God does in our life. He can take care of us, no matter what stage of life we're in or whatever the need is, uh, God has promised to provide for us, and he'll do that. And he pleads then also for the presence of God. I thought it was interesting. Uh, yesterday I had to go take the bus down and get the air conditioning charged up. And uh, we have some trips coming up in the next week or so. We got some one tomorrow. But anyway, I was down there. I was sitting in the driver's lounge. And uh, I wasn't reading my Bible. I didn't have my Bible out. I was going over some of the stuff for the ladies' uh, uh, luncheon coming up this Saturday. And uh, this fella, this old guy came over there and walked up to me and looked at me and he said, he doesn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. He looked at me and he said, you know, God is good. <laughs> I said, all right, where are we going with this conversation? And I was like, I agree with you. I said, God is good. He said, I'll tell you, he's been good to me over the years. And I said, well, praise God. I said, I can get in agreement with you on that. God's been good to me over the years. And it was just an interesting conversation that we had with each other and talking about the goodness and the blessings of God. And then he looked at me and he said, I just want you to know the Lord told me to come over here and tell you that he's doing a special work in your heart and your life right where you are. Amen. I was like, okay. And didn't talk to me again. He went out and left there and, and uh, we never had no, any more conversation after that. And I was just thinking as he laughed, yeah, the goodness of God. He provides for us. He has, is present with us. He is a God that is unchangeable. 
and we can trust him, we can depend upon him, and I'm just thankful that somebody oh, uh, came over and said something the Lord laid on their heart to me, you know, and uh, so praise God. And listen, God wants to do some great things in your life and in my life, and I believe he is doing great things in your life, in my life, and we need to, in our prayer, rejoice and praise our God for who he is, and literally depend upon God's ability to provide for us and take care of us and enjoy the very presence of God. Because when we do sin and then we're separated from our Lord, we can plead out to him for a pardon. And that's what Solomon is talking about, what the children of Israel would have to do in order to plead for the pardon of God. Charles Stanley said this, when we stray from his presence, he longs for you to come back. He weeps that you are missing out on his love, protection, and provision. He throws his arms open and runs towards you, gathers you up, and welcomes you home. A wonderful story of the prodigal son. We often focus on the prodigal son, but I think the main character of that event in Luke chapter 15 is not the prodigal son, it's the father. And I think sometimes we, we have a tendency to contemplate the main character in the story of our life is us. But the reality is it's not us. It's our God who created us. It's our God who saved us. It's our God who has declared uh, his person in our life and provides for us over and over again and fulfills every promise that he makes to us. And what a glorious thing it is that we can enjoy the reality of the eternal God in our life. So when we sin, if we sin, then we need to petition the pardon of God. He's still willing to forgive and to cleanse us and to set us free. And oftentimes people don't, won't get right with God because of the fact they think they've just sinned too far for the grace of God. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so we can petition God for his pardon And uh, that's what I want to think about tonight, uh, some ways or things or situations that we need to plead for the pardon of God. First of all, notice you see point one there is when sin tears down relationships. In Solomon's prayer here, he's identifying a difficulty of relationships that were torn apart. Notice in verse 22, if a man sin against his neighbor, there you go, there's a relationship. That is severed, a relationship that is torn down. If a man sin against his neighbor and uh, an oath be laid upon him to make him swear and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou from heaven and do and judge thy servants by requiting. And the word requiting there means to turn back. By requiting, by turning back the wicked by recompensing his way upon his own head and by justifying the righteousness by giving him according to his righteousness. And so when relationships are torn down, they can be restored and they can be reconciled when you understand that God can pardon. And he deals with how God pardons if we confess our sins and we pray to our God, he hears them and he forgives them when we turn back to him. And so when sin tears down relationships, and uh, there's multitudes of relationships that are ripped apart, husbands and wives, you know, parents and children, 
church members between church members, uh, people on the jobs between co-employees or whatever it may be, there is constantly the opportunity to allow sin to come in our life that tears apart relationships that God desires to be strong in our life. So let's think of a few things here. I have a lot of Bible verses. I don't know if we're going to look them all up, but we'll see how we do here. Notice sin that tears down relationships, letter A, just simply this, through hypocrisy. And I lined up each one of these in Proverbs so we can just kind of work through Proverbs and then do some cross-referencing. But in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 9, it says, A hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Now, where we read of Solomon's prayer, uh, Solomon's prayer is if a man sin against his neighbor. And Solomon in Proverbs is speaking about a hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. And so many times the sin that, that destroys or tears apart relationship is just being hypocritical in how we deal with uh, friends or loved ones or coworkers or whoever it may be. You don't have to be a hypocrite. You need to be real. You need to be sincere. Matthew chapter 15 in verse 7, Jesus said, Ye hypocrites, well did Elias prophesy of you, saying, The people, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. And so the problem with the Pharisees were they were being hypocritical. They were talking outwardly uh, with their lips, uh, their love, their devotion to their God. But inside, in their heart, they were far away from God. And because of it, they were tearing apart relationships. They were tearing apart the people of Israel. And as they were, it was, Jesus rebukes them because of the fact of the hypocrisy that is in our life. You know, somebody might not understand why you're a Christian, might not understand why you live your life as a Christian, but I know this, you need to be sincere enough and honest enough to be real as a Christian in front of them. Because if we're not going to be real in front of them, uh, then what happens when there's an opportunity for us to uh, demonstrate the grace of God, they're not going to accept it because of the fact we've been living a double standard. So through hypocrisy, relationships can be destroyed. And so we need to be real uh, with each other. It's always interesting that you know, young people, when they get married, they get a lot of times these girls, they get married and they have this idea that they're going to make this man become who they think he ought to be. And the reality is this, you ain't going to make him be what you want him to be. And so you better make sure he's uh, well, straight and right, Mr. Wonderful, before you just say, I do, amen? Because when you say, I do, it is done. And uh, sometimes what we do is we put on these, this premise of this hypocritical type of a spirit to try to manipulate somebody or take control of somebody or to get our way with somebody. And then everything, we, we, we wonder, we're shocked that everything falls apart. And through hypocrisy, uh, man's neighbor is destroyed uh, because of the fact that we're insincere and we're uh, um, uh, presenting a false premise by which we're building a relationship. You know, the interesting thing is this, that Jesus Christ never presented a false premise of who he was. 
He always told the truth. He always presented the character of who he was. Uh, that's why I have a problem with a lot of things that go on in church ministries in order to get people in church where they're, they're, they're presenting something that's not true to trick people to get in the church. And their justification for it is, well, we're getting people onto the gospel. No, you're being a hypocrite. You need to be honest. You need to be sincere about who you are and your relationship with Christ because hypocrisy always destroys. And so why should we have to plead for the pardon of God? Because hypocrisy. There's no way you can restore a relationship uh, with being hypocritical. So when sin tears down relationships through hypocrisy. But let her be there. It's through ignorance. In uh, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12, it says, He that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. And so through ignorance, and sometimes we're just not aware of what's going on. I, <laughs> I always get tickled sometimes because people always think they know what's going on. The reality is they don't know anything. And uh, you, I've had over the years people say, well, you know, I'm really upset with so-and-so because of blah, 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 blah. They lay it all out. And I look at them and say, well, that's not true at all. You're, you're ignorant of the whole situation. And you, you have a broken fellowship, a broken relationship because of your ignorance. In uh, John chapter 7 and verse 48, John 7, 48 uh, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? And the answer said unto him, Art thou also a Galilean? Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. What Nicodemus was doing was confronting them with their ignorance. And I think before you make a decision or before you make a comment to someone or get in an argument with somebody, you better make sure you have all the information and you have it correct. And if you don't know what's going on, you're not sure what's happening, then just keep your mouth shut because you don't want to destroy relationships. And hypocrisy and ignorance will tear your relationships apart. So praise God that God will pardon us when we cry out to him. We were hypocritical. People are hypocrites all the time. They say, oh, I love God. And you say, well, you receive Christ as your Savior. Oh, no, I ain't going to do that. I remember a lady I was talking to a while ago, and I talked to her, and she said, well, I'm a Christian. I was like, whoa, Amen. Uh, that's great. I said, when did you get born again? She said, whoa, 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 stop right there. I'm not that born again stuff. And I said, well, ma'am, how can you say you're a Christian if you have not received Christ as your Savior? She was being a hypocrite. But her hypocrisy was based on her ignorance of the necessity to be born again by faith in Christ's sacrifice. And so we have to be careful that we do not condemn people but we want to restore people in knowing that they might know who Christ is and how they can be right with God because he's willing to pardon their ignorance. And sometimes I think when we talk about relationship building, we have to be just willing to uh, uh, pardon or set aside the ignorance of others that they might come to the knowledge of truth. 
And so through hypocrisy, through ignorance, uh, let her see there is through contempt. Uh, verse 21 of Proverbs 14 says, He that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Having contempt for someone. And, uh, well, you know, we have to be careful. We don't allow the flesh to overtake us and build up a spirit of, of uh, contemplation, a spirit of uh, condensa condensation, condensation, I can't get it to say, come out, amen? Not condensation, amen, maybe you'll cry. I don't know, maybe I'll get wet. wet. But anyway, condemnation on somebody uh, just simply because of the fact they're ignorant of who Christ is and what God can do in their life. Luke chapter 14 in, uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 18 in uh, verse 9, and uh, we'll get there in a minute there. It says, in a peep, uh, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Boy, that's a bad place to be. When you start to trust in yourselves that you believe that you're righteous and because you're righteous, everybody else is contemptible. And he goes on and says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as this man, uh, the, uh, as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. So you see this Pharisee, uh, he was trusting in his own self, in his own righteousness. He said, and then he started explaining to God why God should look on him as being someone who is righteous. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Much of conflicts that are ruined, much relationships that are ruined, is because we develop a spirit of contempt for the person we should be getting along with and nurturing in the Lord. And it's because of the fact we start becoming so prideful, we think we're the only one that has the answer. We think we're the only one that is righteous. Hallelujah, I'm not like that person. And when you get into that position, you understand that person will go down justified in his house before you will. And so you cannot build relationships with people if you have a spirit of contempt towards them. We cannot lead people to Christ. We cannot grow people in the faith if we look at them with a spirit of contempt. And so relationships can be a pardoned, uh, breaking down relationships can be restored if we allow the Lord to bring us to a place of repentance over these types of spirit. Notice also this matter of anger. Uh, many a relationship is ruined because of anger. Somebody gets mad at somebody, I mean, they're mad and I don't care what you say, they're not going to be reconciled. They're not willing to get anything right. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 29 says, A violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him in the way that is not good. 
In Proverbs 22, in uh, verse 24, speaking about this matter of anger that's out of control, Proverbs 22, 24, he that saith unto the wicked, uh, that's not where I wanted, uh, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Be nice if I got in the right chapter, amen. Chapter 22, verse 24 says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man thou shalt not go. And so he's laying out for us, Solomon's laying out for us, uh, the way that we break, break down the sin that comes in our life, that breaks down our relationships. Many times it's just through anger. And because we're angry, we will not dis discuss the situation. Because we're angry, we're not willing to uh, uh, look at ourselves in a very clear way. Because of anger, uh, we're not willing to... Um, uh, try to reconcile things. All we know is we're mad and nobody's going to make me happy. And then we turn around and say, well, I don't understand why my marriage is failing. Well, if all you are is always mad and angry at each other, do you actually think you can build a strong relationship? You say, well, you don't understand what they did. No, you don't understand the grace and the forgiveness of God, the pardon of God. I really believe with all my heart that every broken relationship can be restored if the individuals that are involved in that broken relationship would put their anger away and allow the grace of God to work in their life, they can get things reconciled. Now, I'll tell you, that's not easy, but that's what works. There is pardon from God. Then why can't we pardon one another? So through anger. Uh, through lying in Proverbs chapter 25 in uh, verse 18, it says, A man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. Now, we certainly know what a sword is. We certainly know what an arrow is. But I read that a maul, and it's like, are they talking about a maul that you split wood with? And I was like, I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about. So I looked at that verse, and that, that, ver that, that word maul means to strip or to cut sharply. It literally carries with the idea of clawing someone, a maul. You know, my, my cat would, uh, likes to uh, think they maul everything. Of course, she has her, I shouldn't say it, they might get locked up, amen, <laughs> nowadays. I ain't scared. She has her claws taken out, so she thinks she's clawing you, but she isn't. She thinks she's mauling you. <laughs> I just put my hand down. Oh yeah, oh it hurts. It hurts, you know. <laughs> but he's saying this: the the person that bears a false witness is somebody like somebody that claws somebody and sharply rips them apart. And yet we want to be, we think we can restore and we can have strong relationships while we're being dishonest with each other. And so we have to be careful about those things. Sin that tears down relationships is not only anger, but lying. Flattery, uh, chapter 29 of Proverbs, chapter 29 and verse 5 says, a man that flatter, flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. And, uh, you know, you, you can butter somebody up long enough, and then all of a sudden something will go wrong, and now they're going, you're going to have a broken down relationship because it was 
built on a false premise of flattery. Flattery is a part of lying. Flattery is telling people something that is not true so that you can think that you're making them feel good about themselves. And in doing so, now it gives you an upper hand, if you will, in the relationship. But sooner or later, it's going to catch up to you. And then all of a sudden, now your relationship is torn down. And, well, wait a minute, you know. Uh, the Pharisees certainly did talk flowery words and flattering words about worshiping and loving God, but they were full of dead man's bones. They were lying. And, and as a problem, and what happened is their relationship with God was broken down because of that. And Solomon is saying this, Lord, when we have a problem with our neighbor, when our relationships are broken down, will you remember to pardon us? And the reason why he cried out for God to pardon them because that was the only way that we could restore those relationships. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 18. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It would be a wonderful thing for Christians to learn that. God has given every one of us the ministry of reconciliation. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man's overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. It's a ministry of reconciliation. It's, it's almost sometimes, I see over the years, it's almost like... Uh, some Christians are relieved when someone stumbles and falls in the sin. Well, I knew they wouldn't keep on for God. That's a horrible spirit to have. Because if somebody falls by the wayside, we shouldn't rejoice or expect that they should have fallen by the wayside. It ought to break our hearts and make us weep in reference to how can we restore this relationship. God's given us a ministry of reconciliation. I like this quote I came across, that relationships are always worth restoring. I've heard people say over the years, well, I can just do without them. I can live without them. That's not scriptural. That absolutely is not scriptural. I understand that you can't always get everything reconciled because it takes two to respond. You can reach out to somebody, they may not respond to you. That's why Paul said as much as lieth within thee, live peaceably with all men. He didn't say you would live peaceably with all men, but he said this, on the part of the Christian, as much as lieth within thee. In other words, you make the honest effort to extend a pardon to rebuild that relationship. Relationships are always worth restoring. God has given us a ministry of restoring relationships. This is a reason, for this reason, a significant amount of the New Testament is devoted to teaching us how to get along with one another in fellowship. You ever, you ever stop to think about how many verses are in the New Testament speaking to the early church and speaking to the believers about what their relationship and their conduct should be with each other. But yet we just gloss over those verses. We just pass by those verses. 
because they're hard verses to fulfill. But the reality is we ought to be allowing God's grace and God's pardon to work in our lives that we might be able to restore fellowship and relationships with others. So when sin tears down relationships, Solomon is just crying out to God, uh, Lord, you be the judge, and God, you be the one uh, that identifies the righteous, and you respond to their prayers as they cry out to you, God, we need your pardon when sin tears down our relationships. Well, number two, we'll probably just do this one, and I'll be up tonight, and I can see this. When sin defeats us before the enemy... You know, many times what happens is we're defeated before the enemy. The world is our enemy. And verse 24 says, And if thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy. There's a lot of places in the scriptures where Israel stood before the enemy and they were put to the worst. And many times we as a Christian, as we live in this world, we're living before the enemy. We're put to the worst. So he says, if thy people Israel will be put to the worst before the enemy because they have sinned against thee. He's given uh, an exposition here in reference to the reason why they're put to the worst before their enemy is because they sinned against their God. Now they're under the chastening hand of their God. And shall return and confess thy name. And pray and make supplication before thee in this house. So he deals with how do you deal with and how do you respond to the sin that defeats us before our enemies? Letter A is just simply this. They must, they must repent. It's a simple concept. Because he says, because they have sinned and shall return and confess thy name. Return, that's repentance. In Luke chapter 3, what do you read in Luke chapter 3 about John the Baptist? You read about John the Baptist coming on the scene and preaching, repent. The message of Jesus Christ when he began his earthly ministry was what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the preaching of the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost to Israel was what? Repent. Because of the, the problem was they were being put to the worst in front of their enemy because they sinned against their God and they had lost the blessings of God in their life. And the only way that they could be restored in a position of victory before the enemy was they had to repent. There's hardly any preaching on repentance anymore. Everybody's scared to death to preach on repentance because you're so worried about being called a legalist. But we are supposed to turn around. We're not supposed to continue in the direction we're going. We're supposed to repent. Because we are every day living in front of the enemy. You think David had a problem with standing before Goliath. I'm going to tell you, we have many Goliaths standing before us. And there's only one way that we'll be able to allow the sin of, that's in our lives that puts us in a position of being defeated before the enemy, and that is we must repent so we can get the pardon of God. The pardon of God does not come until there's repentance. So much soul winning anymore is, uh, well, bow on your head and pray this prayer and you'll be saved. Well, I'm sorry, if there's no repentance, there is no salvation. They've got to repent. They don't have to do works 
but there must be a spirit of saying, I'm wrong, I'm heading in the wrong direction, I'm against God, and I need to be for God. Repentance. Not only must they repent, but they must confess. They shall return and confess thy name. Not confessing I was baptized. Not confessing I'm going to be a, try to be a good person. I always have people when I lead them to the Lord pray out loud. Just because of the fact they're supposed to confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive our sins. He cleanses from all righteousness. And I have found, I've had so many situations. I remember this one lady, I was trying to lead her to the Lord. And I said, you need to pray. And, and I was, she, I said, she said, well, I'm embarrassed and never prayed. I said, pray out loud. I said, just talking to God. Talk to the Lord about your sin and about you need to get right and you need God's grace. You need God's love. You need God's mercy. And so she started praying. She said, well, Lord, just make me a better mother and a better wife. She started going in all these things. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, you didn't understand. You have to confess your sin. It's not, Lord, I want to be saved, so help me to be a good mother has nothing to do with you being a good mother or a good wife or a hard worker. has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you saying, I know I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I'm acknowledging that my sin has separated me from God and I need to be forgiven. The word confess there is a Greek word homologio. And it literally means to speak the same thing. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, the word agreed deals with the fact that we're in confession one with another. We're in agreement with God. And so if they were going to be able to get the pardon of God for their sin that they had defeated them in the presence of their enemy, they had to call out to God in a spirit of repentance confessing his name. Then they must pray. That's what verse 24 says. Confess thy name and pray and make supplication before this house. And so they had to pray. They had to talk to God about this. And Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 2.1 that men are always to pray. Uh, Paul deals with this matter of prayer and supplications before the Lord for all men. And so we must pray. And that's why I wanted to sing that song tonight, Sweet Hour of Prayer. We cannot, listen, we cannot forget that we must pray in confessing our sins in a spirit of repentance because sin will defeat us in the presence of the enemy. We need to be victorious as a Christian. We need to be the winners as a Christian. And we need to be able to influence the world that we're living in that, wait a minute, Christ is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords and you've got to get right with him. But sin will defeat us before the enemy. They must be sincere in verse 38. It says, if they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity. And so they had to be sincere in their crying out to God. C.S. Lewis said this, we have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of a sin. You can't outlast sin. I've had people say, well, I, I know, I understand what you're saying, you need to be saved, but I, you know, I'll do it later. 
You know what they're saying is their sin's not condemning them. They can wait till later. They can, they can outlast it. You can't outlast it. Susanna Wesley said this, whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the relish from spiritual things that uh, then it is sin for you. However, innocent it may be in itself. I think we forget that. I, I was preaching Sunday and I said something about one of the big problems we have in Christianity is we're just too busy. We're just too busy. Everything takes us away from prayer. Everything takes us away from worshiping the Lord. Everything hinders our time to be able to go out and talk to someone about Christ. We are too busy. And as a result of it, uh, we need to respond with a spirit of sincerity. Did I put that last point on there, did I? No, I didn't? Wow, I just skipped that. Anyway, they must be sincere. Leonard Ravenhill said this, The world has lost the power to blush over its vices. And then he went on to say this, the church has lost her power to weep over it. You know, I'm shocked. I was sitting down there in the driver's lounge there waiting for the bus to be fixed. And we'll stop here and we'll pick this up next week. Uh, and I was sitting there and the commercials were coming. Of course, they had the news on. We were watching Fox News and getting all the wonderful, exciting news of the day. Amen. And as I was sitting there, and then the commercials came on. And I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. The commercials. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This, this is what we are putting in the front of our children? This is what we're looking at ourselves? No wonder, no wonder. People aren't embarrassed about how they dress, how they act, what they say, where they go, what they do. The world has lost its power to blush. What, whatever, what, whatever happened to men and women alike and girls and boys alike being embarrassed? when people can see how they're dressed inappropriately. People don't care about that. It's amazing. I, th I thought it was interesting. I was, saw a news clip uh, a couple of weeks ago. I even forget where it was at, but it was a public school, public school situation. And the principal of this public school sent a letter home to the parents about a dress code for the parents when they come on the campus to pick up their kids from school. And I'll tell you one thing, that woman, that principal, she was a woman, and I mean she nailed it, and she identified, you will not wear this piece of clothing. And she put a picture up so they could see, and they wouldn't be confused about it. <laughs> you will not wear this when you come here. And I mean, it was all about the leggings and all about uh, pajama bottoms and all this, that, and the other. And I'm th I thought myself, it is pretty sad when you have to tell a woman 
You're coming to pick up your child and you're walking around in front of a bunch of little children and you're not embarrassed about how you're dressed. And furthermore, men, men walking around looking like they're little girls. You know, I want you to dress like a man and act like a man coming in there wimping out for crying out loud. You say, what's, what's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. We have sinned so much that we are so far away from God that the world no longer blushes. And the world does everything that you can imagine, or I should say this, they do everything that you can't imagine because I can't imagine what they're going to do next. But the, what should, where should the church be? The church should be on its face crying out to God and weeping because of it. I'll tell you, I don't know what it does to you. It breaks my heart. And I see these little girls running around sometimes and see what the way uh, mom and dads let their little girls dress and run around. I, I just don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it all. Well, that's not in my message, but I thought it'd be good to say. Amen. Let's blush before the Lord. Amen. Let's weep before God. Let's petition God. Pardon us, Lord. Because relationships are breaking down and Lord, sin is putting us in a position of defeat and lost before the enemy. When you've already stated that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, then bless God, why don't we start living like it? Amen. Petitions, the pardon of God. Well, we need to pray tonight.